good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning and welcome to worship. I hope you got a bulletin as you came in. Uh, They're out there on the foyer. If you didn't get one, uh, please feel free. We're we're not going to get upset if you stand up and go get one or ask someone to help you find one. Uh, All the readings and everything are in there so that you can be a part of the liturgy. But as we go forward, we appreciate your uh, patience as we still continue some of the changes to make as we get back involved uh, regularly. You will see announcements. There's just a few things. This bulletin's pretty much going to tell you, and I'll tell you my prayer request, is this one here has a few things, but we're trying to encourage everyone to go to the website or to go to your emails. Everything is there. You can find everything. We still may make a few announcement things and set things out, but we're asking our ministry teams. Uh, I know the ladies' ministry has already made a trifold. I know the food ministry can do that, and I know the youth have that. And it's a whole lot easier as the church gets involved to be able to let you pick up the things you want and learn about those. And we can send all the information you need directly to your email. Uh, You go to the website. Christy's even creating a new topic called prayer where you can go right to the website. And so rather than us trying to keep up weekly and miss things within the last day or from the time that we print, you can actually see those right there. So we're trying to, to move forward and uh, not take away from worship, but to be able to communicate to you in a much more timely fashion and to allow the bulletin over time to become more the liturgy, the things that we need while we're here so we can worship and be a part. And so we're not trying to offend anybody. Uh, those of you who love to take notes, uh, I know some of my kids over the years had their own notepads. They brought in stuff and kept sermons for years. But we may also, Nick and I have talked about putting out a sermon page so that if you are one who likes to take notes, we may have those out there that you can pick them up. Uh, But we're trying to just reduce the whole idea of just printing things to print things just in case somebody may want them. So please give us your feedback. We appreciate that all the time. Uh, But this morning, you can go uh, again back to your emails and to the website to figure out all the details. We have all the Sunday school classes going. Nick has put together a a whole chart of some upcoming things that he'll be showing the elders as he's working through the discipleship now. So if you're interested in what is up and coming, uh, I'll be finishing our class here in our faithfulness of the Father. And then Pastor Nick may be teaching a course in October on evangelism and the importance of that as we begin to reach out and, and include you. So be in prayer where you can fit in. We always need help, whether it's with the sound system, the video equipment. We also need people plugging back in, folks, uh, on our normal ministries. For example, uh, before the pandemic, we had a a fellowship team that kept up with the kitchen and the activities and the things that took place. We don't have that right now. And so I've encouraged every ministry, if you plan on using the kitchen, you better check and make sure whatever you need is there because we don't have the ministry team that's keeping up with the kitchen and what's in it and what's going on. And so we don't want the same few people doing it all. And so please be in prayer. Uh, If you want to serve on the missions team, we've had many requests from our missionaries that are needing help. We have others that are wanting to be funded and need to go on the mission field. And yet we don't have an active missions team going since the pandemic. So those are some things that we really need you to pray about and get involved with. So please be in prayer. Where is it that you fit? What would you like to be a part of so that we can build back up these ministries so that the elders and deacons can help you, oversee them, and actually get you involved, but allow you to use your gifts to further the kingdom here where we are living. So we're excited about that as well.
But other than that, I want to take a moment. You'll see the silent meditation there, if we can read that, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. If you need the Lord's Prayer, it is inside the cover of your hymn book. If you just open up the hymn book on the first page, you'll see that. And if you need that, most of you may know it, but if you need it, as I lead us in prayer, you'll join me together in the Lord's Prayer. But as we open, let's read the silent meditation together, and then I'll pray, and especially this morning for Kathy. Uh, she is here with us, our friends that have been here. Many of you know the friends, they're new to me, but part of our church family for years. But uh, as Jeff has, as I would say, his body has died and his spirit has gone on to be with the Lord in glory. And so we want to remember Kathy, especially uh, in the weeks and months ahead as she adjusts to God's new plan and walk for her as she continues to glorify him without Jeff. And so let's take a moment, read with me, if you would, the silent meditation. We'll take a moment of silence. I'll lead us in prayer, and if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer together. Read with me. Believers are not simply people who are trying to live a little better. They have been radically renewed, born all over again. The habitual practice of goodness is evidence of what God has done in them. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would reach down from the portals of heaven for us to make us ready. Lord, as you did, Jeff, that you reach down to touch a sinner, one that you had chosen from before the foundations of the world, and in the right time changed his life. And as we have meditated, what a radical difference it made in him. What a difference it made in his life and those he was with. Lord, this morning as we gather here together, Lord, I pray that you'll take away the things that occupy our mind and our hearts and allow us to worship for just a few moments so that we too can make whatever changes are necessary to be an authentic Christian, to be living what it is we claim and not a lie. Lord, we also this morning lift up Kathy. Lord, that you would just... Uh, bring comfort to her life, direction, and encouragement as she rejoices knowing that this day was coming, but yet, Lord, to strengthen her so that we as a family might minister to her, help meet her needs, uh, help her where she needs it, and yet, Lord, trust that you will care for her just like you have always. Lord, I pray that you encourage her spirit as she worships with us through this hard time, and Lord, that you would get the glory for it all. And Lord, we rejoice that we too can still come to the throne together and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We've printed it there for you, and for some people, we've encouraged you to turn to your Bibles. If you would turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 24, I'm going to read the call to worship to you this morning. I'm actually going to be reading it from the American Standard Version. For those of you who like to keep up with everything that's going on, the English Standard Version that we normally use has actually been an updated version of the 1901 ASV. And so I have that this morning because I'll be using it in our service for some of its clarity. But listen 
as I call us to worship from Psalm 24, from the 1901 American Standard Version. The earth is Jehovah's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of Jehovah and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto falsehood and hath not sworn deceitfully. We gather together to live what God has called us to be. If you would reach down and pick up that red hymnal. We're going to be reading through the shorter catechism as we do. So turn to page 875 in the back. I'll ask the question and we will respond together starting in question 73. Which is the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal. What is required in the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. What is forbidden in the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. In a moment we're going to pray together, but this is the prayer of one who did great evil, who was a great sinner, but then found mercy in his Savior. So with that attitude, as we pray words that are based on Psalm 51, David's prayer of confession and repentance, let's pray together with a sincere heart. Please pray along with me. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness, in your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And as we've repented together, we now come to hear and be refreshed in the promise of the gospel, the good news for all, but experienced by those who repent and believe. From Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Our faith is in a merciful God who has mercy on the weary. Weary from our sin, weary from the experience of living in a sinful world. And as we look to Jesus, we are assured that he has taken away our sin and that he will help us in our time of need. And I hope that you brought your Bibles with you. 
to follow along. We've been studying through 1 John, and it has been very challenging for me personally, as I am constantly being reminded of my need uh, for Jesus, and to be reminded how important it is to love the brethren, and to live what I claim. I don't know about you this morning, but the sermon titled, You Play Like a Practice, is just a fun way, as many of you know, if you've been involved in sports at all in your life, or in music, or in anything at all, you learn that if you're going to practice in ways that aren't healthy, you're going to play in ways that aren't healthy. If you practice things wrong, you're going to play them wrong. And so I remembered years ago when I was teasing Nick as I was coming up with it, do we title this, you play like you practice or you're going to practice like you play? You see, for some of us, it goes on and on and on. And I remember just growing up how important it was. And all of you know what it's like if you've been in a, a title match, a championship game, an ending opportunity of conflict between rival schools. There's always this knot that's in your stomach. And the coaches would say to us sometimes, as you have that sick feeling, that's good. Because it meant you were taking things, what? Seriously. Have you ever had that knot in your stomach when you knelt down to pray? Were you ever nervous that when you entered to the presence of the Almighty that you knew you didn't deserve to be there? that you were going to ask things that you don't even deserve to receive. And that you were going to want him to bless you in ways you never deserve to be blessed. Sometimes it's like, I don't even know what to pray. I would say to you, that's good. Because then even in your prayer, you're depending on God to allow you to address him. You see, it's amazing how in life we have taken many of the Christian ways of living and made them frivolous, almost meaningless. We pretty much sometimes even do church because we do church. We feed the hungry because that's what we're supposed to do. We clothe the needy because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's just what you do. I know in Sunday school we're talking about finding our certainty in the faithfulness of the Father. Knowing that God loves us because he loves us, not because we've done things to earn it. And maybe you're here this morning and you need to realize that it's time to change the way you practice. Because if you're going to play in the kingdom of heaven, you better be ready. You better be ready. John writes in the third chapter of 1 John, beginning in verse 4, an amazing conflict between the one who is practicing unrighteousness and claiming to be righteousness. We've seen the test of love, the test of truth, the test of righteousness earlier on, and now he repeats this argument to this test of righteousness. He goes deeper than what he did in the first two chapters when he talks about those tests, and he now goes a little bit farther to simply say they cannot coexist together Permanently, your life must be changing. There's several reasons why. I'll read them to you, and then I'll share with you three things. You can put them down in your mind. You can't put them in that bulletin. 
but you can put them down in your mind and you can write these down. Why is it that we cannot claim to be authentic Christian and still live a lie? Well, number one, they're incompatible. I'll go over that with you. John writes us to tell us that. Number two, it's unreasonable to think that they would work together. And finally, he takes it a step further and says it's impossible to do that. So let me read again this morning. You should be able to follow along clearly. They're from the same tradition and the same texts. But let me read from the American Standard Version because of its terms, its boldness, its poeticness as John writes this in chapter 3 beginning, uh, if you would, in 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. He says this, Everyone that doeth sin doeth also lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither knoweth him. My little children, let no man lead you astray. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And he that doeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. To this end was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is begotten of God doeth no sin, because his seed abideth in him. And he cannot sin because he is begotten of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now, if you're following along in the ESV, I like this translation because yours is correct. Let me tell you this. If you're following along in the Greek, you would find that the English Standard Version has translated for the one who continues sinning. We are not talking this morning. Let me correct you up front. The Bible does not say, and John does not say, that Christians do not sin. The whole text we're talking about is the person who is lawlessness. We're going to explain that in a minute. It's been translated for you in the English Standard Version. It comes from the word anomia, only used here in 1 John in its reference, that means lawlessness. It's the character trait of rebellion. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So I wanted to read this because I love the old translation. I hope sometimes you're able to go back and read because they used the present continuing tense. It's not the aorist tense. For those of you who are English majors, it's not something that started in the past and has continued. It's present tense. He that doeth. He that is always doeth. If I said to you it this way, my children doeth love me. You might say, what? They don't anymore. <laughs> it just means present tense. It's always happening at whatever time you ask. If I asked if you love God, you would have the right to say in the present tense, if it's true, I doeth love God, which means I always love God. At whatever point you ask, 
That's where I'm at, and that's where I'm going to be. It's present always. So the Greek interprets this word, anomia, lawlessness. The English translators took it and said, for those who continue to practice, always when you're asked, yes, I'm sinning. You see, that's the part I want to talk to you about. Why is it that they cannot be together? Why can we say we're Christian and still live a lie? That's not true. Why? First of all, it's incompatible. That's what he says in verse 4. Everyone that doeth sin, that continues in sin, that every time we come to you, you're harnessed, trapped, embattled with sin. It's a constant part of your life. And it's not the actions of sins we're talking about. It's the character of your heart that wants you to sin. That's what we're talking about when it comes to lawlessness. It's translated throughout the New Testament in the only times it's used. Now, catch this for those of you who love to study. Lawlessness is not a reference to those of us breaking the Mosaic law. The word law is never even found in 1 John. It's not even talking about the law of Mosaic law. Lawlessness is the descriptive of the character of the person who has no law of God, period. They are lawlessness. They are in complete rebellion against God. They don't want to serve God. Their heart is against God. They're constantly looking for ways to sin and to go against God. So when the writer writes, everyone that doeth sin doeth lawlessness, it's because you're continuing in a rebellion against God. You see, I think we've grown accustomed to saying to ourselves, well, you know, even Christians sin. So that almost makes it okay. John makes it clear, yes, Christians sin. But we should never do with sin. It should be a change in our life that is different. Anomia, the word that is translated there about our character, is because lawlessness is the cause of sin, not the result. I want you to catch that. We're talking about your character. Lawlessness is what leads you to sin. It's not the result of your sin. You don't become lawlessness because you sin. Let me rephrase this as you've understood it in the past. You're not a sinner because you sin, but you sin because you're a what? Sinner. That's what John is twisting here. He's saying, folks, let's grasp the character of the person who's living a lie. It's the person who is claiming to be Christian but is in rebellion against God, is still living for themselves. You see, it's the lawlessness that is what, I say this gently to many of you, I wasn't following you this week, but folks, it's the lawlessness, the character, that leads you to break the speed limit. It's the lawlessness in your life that leads you to lie to your parents. It's the lawlessness that leads to half-truths. It's the lawlessness that leads to cheating on our taxes, to not reporting all the gains, to getting a little bit ahead, using our employer's time now that we're at home for our personal time. Now raise your hands if you've done that. That's lawlessness. Because that's cheating, that's lying. But we become so accustomed to it because it's as if nobody really cares. And John is writing and he's saying, folks, it's those kind of things that separate us from the rest of the world. We don't have that rebellion in us. We shouldn't be wanting to speed. We shouldn't be wanting to cheat. We shouldn't be wanting to get ahead of us. 
it's the desire of lawlessness that says maybe your heart's never really changed. Maybe when we start talking about authentic Christianity and living a lie, maybe the truth of it is you're trying to play in a way you've never practiced. It's hard to be Christian without Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins, or John begins to write the same thing as Paul would about the laws and how we're overcome them and how our lives have been changed and how we've been crucified. It's amazing. Why is it that it's incompatible? Put this down, folks. How ungrateful we must be, John writes, if we've been freed from sin, forgiven, and given a new life, and yet in lawlessness we want to still live in rebellion. How could those of us who claim to be Christian want to go against the exact same things Jesus died to accomplish? Reminds us that even Jesus said, you're either with me, for me, or what? Against me. It's that black and white attitude again where we've got to stop compromising the truth of things in the Christian life. Can you imagine, we've said this many times before, if every Christian truly lived the new lifestyle, what a different world we would live in. Could you imagine if every person was honest? One girl got a little frustrated the other day. I probably shouldn't share this story, but I went to one of the most historic places in all of Maryland, one of the most well-known, likable places, and if you've never been there, you're not truly from Maryland. You know what I'm talking about? It's the Dairy Cream near Glen Burnie. And I went up there as I went to see Jeff and Kathy, and I stopped in and got me a double foot long. <laughs> Everything on it. Folks, the point of the story is not that you can't hot dogs and do things in life, but it's amazing that when all of a sudden we begin to realize we're grasping things, taking things, partaking of stuff. I enjoyed something that was amazing. I began to think to myself of its incompatibility, regretfulness. I shared with others that went there. You know what they said? Those aren't healthy. <laughs> They're incompatible with the Christian life if you're trying to be healthy. Folks, I know we have fun ways of doing things, but how regretful it must be that we live in a life where we have been given opportunities to change. For those of you who've been through the horridness of heart surgeries, why would you ever go there? Yet multiple people do. See, it's amazing when you live in a world, we find ourselves doing things that we shouldn't do. And why? Even the easiest things in life, John writes and he says this, he that doeth sin. If you practice living a non-Christian life, how do you expect to live a Christian life? He sees that they're incompatible when you're trying to be authentically Christian and yet living a lie. We want to rebel against God. We want to run wholeheartedly into sin. We want to go through this whole process of saying that we can do it ourselves even though we belong to God. I remember telling a minister friend of mine, he was a young youth pastor as he was coming in when we were in North Carolina years ago, and he was making comments all the time, and people were getting upset, and I took him aside one time, and I told him up front, 
He didn't last very long. He was new in the ministry. He wanted to try things. And I remember telling him and his wife as they sat down together, I remember saying, folks, listen, if something happens and you get caught in a fire, I, as your senior, will walk through that fire with you. I will cover you. I will help you. And we will accomplish the task that needs to be done. But if you're just going to go run into the fire just to be there, I'm not following you in there. You see, there's a difference between helping people live the Christian life, helping people get through sin, helping people overcome obstacles. That's totally different than running into sin with them. It is never our job as a Christian to follow people into the sinful ways of the world just so we can love them and help them and say we're being a witness. That's incompatible. I remind you that when John writes this, he that doeth sin doeth lawlessness. You're showing your rebellion against God. So he challenges us as we go. I'm not sure about walking into fires, but I won't go into the details. One thing that always amazed me on television, I grew up out west on the edges of Colorado Springs between us and the mountains and the plains was the number one place in Rush, Colorado for tornadoes. Now, I don't know of too many people that chase hurricanes. It's kind of hard. I don't know of too many people that chase other types of storms. But isn't it amazing that we have storm chasers? If you've ever seen that, those people that actually try to find the center of the tornado. Now, I'm not saying Maryland doesn't have tornadoes, but it was not uncommon in Rush, Colorado to have tornadoes that touched ground a mile wide. Nothing is left standing where it goes. And yet we have people who think it's necessary to be a part of that. That's John's way of saying, how is it that we can have Christians who think they can be in the center of rebellion against God? They're incompatible. It's truth that has to be determined. John does it throughout this whole letter that he writes to us. Write these in your mind. Keep them. Truth has to be contrasted with denials. That's what makes it truth. That's what logic is. You can't say that an apple is an orange. And you can't change later on to say, well, I, I like an apple and I like an orange. But since I like them both, we'll just put them together. When I ask for an apple, just give me an orange. And if I ask for an orange, that's not logical. It's incompatible. They're not the same. We can't blend being a Christian and living in sin and saying they go together. We've done that by saying this, well, Christians are still sinners. Oh, how true that is. But that doesn't mean Christians should be sinners. John says that's incompatible. Why? If Jesus is the only son, then no one else can be. That's the opposing view. If Jesus is the only way, there can't be any other way. If Jesus is the one who is the truth, then everything else must be a lie. If we're saved by grace, it can't be by works. If we're living in the light, it can't be darkness. If things go up, they must come what? See, there's opposites that declare the truths. When someone says they believe something is true, it's defined by what it's not. It can't be both true and untrue. You can't be authentically Christian and live a lie. Those are his words, not mine. You can't live lawlessness. Righteousness is not compatible with lawlessness. 
So he writes us another one. Why else is it not only incompatible? Look at verse 5 and 6 when he tells us it's unreasonable for those of you who love logic, for those of you who love to make sense of it. We used to say it this way, just have common sense. Think about this. It's unreasonable. Verse 5 says, and you know that he was manifested. He didn't come alive. He didn't, wasn't born. He manifested from the eternal parts of heaven where he was with God. He man, was manifested to take away sins. Folks, catch that. He was manifested to take away sins. Verse 6, whoever abides in him sinneth not. It's the present tense. We're always dealing with sin. And whoever sinneth hath not seen him or knows him. Let me, let me paraphrase. The ESV has it there for you. You cannot say you're a Christian and continue to live in sin. There must be a change. It's unreasonable to even think that they go together. If Jesus Christ died to take away the sins, then how can we say it's okay to keep committing more? Do you remember when Romans writes about that? When Paul writes to them and he says, well, shall we go on sinning if grace abounds? Yes, it's true. Hear me clearly. Jesus died. He's covered every possible sin you could ever imagine. He's covered you. He's filled you with cleanliness. He's clothed you in righteousness. He's put his self and his righteousness upon you. Yes, I get that and I believe that. But does that mean you're allowed to just go and sin as much as possible? Oh, Paul writes, that's not true. How could you go on sinning expecting there would be a compatible understanding in Christ? Listen to this in Hebrews 10, 26. If we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more a sacrifice for our sins. But a fearful, listen to this, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire which shall devour the adversaries. For those of you who think we can just go on sinning willfully, which means to practice the sin, to have this lawlessness in us that says we have the right to rebel. Others shouldn't, but we can. We still know God loves us. We still know we're okay. We're above the rules and the regulations that others live by. This lawlessness is unreasonable. It makes no sense because the Bible says if you willfully sin, after having the truth, there's no more sacrifice. What does that mean? It means this. If Jesus died for your sins and you don't think it's enough, there's nothing that will be. If Jesus cannot change your life, nobody else can. If Jesus' death doesn't bring you the life he has, nobody else will. There no longer remains a sacrifice. Jesus is the only way. And if he's not enough... You're living a lie. You're living a lie. So John goes on as he's writing us about the importance. If Jesus Christ died to take away sin and sin comes from this contempt or this enmity with God, well then how do we get rid of this? How is it that this enmity with God and we are Christians and we're sinning what is the reality of what takes place when a person accepts Christ? Go to Galatians 2.20. You know it. You don't have to have it. I'm reading it out of the consistency of this version. Listen to what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I that live, but what? Christ, now catch this, liveth in me. Present tense, not aorist, not punctiliar, not future active, for those of you who love the Greek. It's the present tense. He constantly, always, continually lives in me. Now, how can I continue to live in sin if he's continually living in me? You see, the question becomes this. Maybe Christ doesn't really live in you. I'm not questioning you, but John was. We do the Lord's Supper, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourself to see whether or not you pass the test. Whether or not Christ is indeed in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. You know whether or not you're living a lie. It's amazing how John brings us to these points. It's not only incompatible, it's unreasonable. The old self has been crucified. We've been born of God. We are now children of God. There's been a radical change in our life. There is no neutral position. Folks, let me tell you this about a neutral position. You didn't get saved, and now you're free to choose whether or not you're going to follow the truth. It's not that Jesus freed you up from the captivity of sin, and now you have the right to choose what you want to do. No, he's freed you up so that in obedience you can follow the truth. I don't ever remember Jesus anywhere in all of my readings saying, now that I've set you free, it's okay to sin once in a while. Now that I've overcome the punishment of death, it's okay if you want to linger around there for a while. I'll let a few things slide. What the writer of Hebrews tells us is there is a certain fearful expectation of judgment for those who are living a lie. Is Christ in you? Why would Jesus give himself a sacrifice for sin if you're still going to live in it? What God would ever say, I will give my only son without purpose, without reading. Well, he would in the minds of those of lawlessness. You may think he gave his son and I have a choice. No, he gave his son and he'll determine whether or not you're living a lie. So what happens, Romans 6, please just listen. God's words given to Paul, not me. So what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For we who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? Or are ye ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through the baptism unto death. Like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in a newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was what? Crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that so we should no longer be in bondage to sin.
Wow. John and Paul are riding on the same wavelength. We've died to sin and we're now living for God. It's unreasonable to think that we can choose to sin and it would be okay. Not only is it incompatible and unreasonable, but he goes a little bit further and he says it's impossible to say you could be a Christian and live a lie. Listen to what he says in 1 John again as he begins to lead farther down in the passage there of chapter 3. Verse 7, My little children, let no man lead you astray. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. But he that doeth sin is of the devil. The devil's the one that sinned from the beginning. To this end, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In this, verse 10, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Do you hear what he's saying? It's impossible to be a child of God and a child of the devil. And when God gives you things to do, it's going to be from him. When the devil gives you things to do, it's going to be from him. Satan cannot feed the children of God. And God does not feed the children of Satan. They don't go together. It's as black and white as it could possibly be. The truth is defined by its opposite. If you're a child of God, you cannot be a child of the devil. Stop practicing sin. His words would be this. Stop living lawlessness. A desire to sin, folks, does not come from God. James even says he is not the author of sin. Sin comes from somewhere else. Oh, I'm not saying that once we have been crucified with Christ, we are perfect. This is not a text of perfectionism, as some would want to make it, that one time he says we're sinners, and other times he says we should be perfect. John never says we're to be perfect. He's not addressing the individual sin. He's addressing the lawlessness behind the sin. Who do you really belong to? This deliberate, consistent sin. It's impossible to have if you're a Christian. Rebellion against God. If Jesus Christ is not enough to change your heart, once again, Paul writes, maybe you ought to check to see if you are a child of God. Or are we children of the devil? And we've just been playing like we're saved. We practice like we play. And you will play like you practiced. John begins to make it clear that God's seed is what abides in us. It is that seed that is a reference not only to the Word of God or to the Holy Spirit. It's throughout the New Testament you can find that the seed is always referred to in different ways. We're reminded that it is the Word of God that lives in you. We're told at times it's the Holy Spirit that lives in you. We're told at times that the Word, the Son, lives in you. If you were to put it all together, folks, you could actually summarize it and say this. If you're a child of God, the new nature lives in you. It's the nature that's based on the power of the Holy Spirit given to us through the Son when He went to be with the Father and is verified through the Word that's planted in our hearts, the Scriptures. 
There's no reason as a child of God that you would even think it's impossible as a child of God to think that you have the right to go on sinning. That's not your right. That's not even a part of who you are. If you belong to God, you cannot belong to Satan. Here's the words of Jesus. Let me give them to you quickly. Matthew 16, before Peter goes out and betrays Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Do you remember what he said? Do you remember when he had the event where Jesus was going to be betrayed and people were going to come and capture him and Jesus said, I'm going to be taken together? Do you remember what Peter said? He said, not under my watch. Do you remember Jesus' words? Get thee behind me, what? Satan. Your father is at work. When all the Jewish adversaries in John chapter 8 were approaching, Jesus said, these are the children of the devil. Jesus' words. It is when Judas betrayed him that the disciples even report the story that as Satan entered his heart, Jesus said, go and do what your father, the devil, has you to do. It's impossible. It's not only, if you wish to say, impractical, but it's impossible to be a child of God and a child of the devil. It's impossible to be a Christian and say, the devil made me do it. No, we are tempted and drawn by our own lusts and desires, our lawlessness, our rebellion against God. Why? We know it's from Satan. He says in the text, because it's happened and the devil has sinned from the beginning. You know, Satan, if you wish, wasn't created evil. If you remember the stories of Job and how he had fallen from heaven, it was a rebellion, it was lawlessness. And from there we get the stories of Adam and Eve and his temptation, and then we even get the murderous story of Cain and Abel. You see, from the beginning, Satan tries to tell us, you can be a child of God and still listen to me. Satan says, you can be saved and still do what I want you to do. Satan is the father of lies. He's the light in disguise. And he's got so many of us living a lie. John simply says, Romans chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You're either a child of God and there's no condemnation, or you're a child of the devil or Satan, and there's a fearful expectation of judgment. It's impossible to think the two are one. So John writes, and he summarizes, he simply says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8. 
John writes and he simply says, you play like you practice. Or maybe we should use the common phrase, actions speak louder than words. Authentic Christianity, living a lie, they're incompatible. It's unreasonable to think they're together. And John says it's impossible to have both. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth. Father, thank you for allowing us to see the truth, that you would convict our hearts and our minds, that you would change us, that you would take the lawlessness, the rebellion against you, and you would remove it. Father, that you would faithfully come to us and rescue us. Provide us an opportunity to worship and to glorify you alone. Father, I know it's a patient process. And there is none other as patient as you. Be patient with me. Be patient with me. For my heart longs to serve you. My heart longs to love you. And yet I fail. And I have fallen. And I need forgiveness. Help me to feel the comfort of knowing that I am still your child. And that you promised you would never leave me or forsake me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.